This podcast is presented by the Bet Parks online casino and sportsbook app. New customers download now and get up to $1,000 in casino bonus back if you're not a winner in your first 24 hours. See BetParks.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 in PA, New Jersey, Maryland, Michigan, or Ohio. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult to Today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation semi annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal too. Schedule a no obligation in home estimate now. Call 866 90 Nation or visit windownation.com. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipit.tv. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hand. And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kiss and Solak Show. Man, I love those guys. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 17, and it is brought to you by BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my excellent work for InsideThePylon.com. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Usually I say as always, but he's been gone for a week and a half, and he is back. The prodigal son has returned. Benjamin Solak, how you doing, brother? Well, okay, first, there's nothing prodigal about my departure and return, but I'm very well, Mike. Thank you for asking. I'm so happy to be back in the chair in front of the mic. It's uh, It's been definitely too long, but thank God I had a wonderful trip. Uh, my spring break down in Mexico, St. Innocent's Boys Orphanage there, painted some of their rooms, did some of their home building stuff, just an incredible experience, feeling very rejuvenated. 31 days, Mike, when this is released, 31 days until the NFL draft, and I'm ready for every single one of them, every single storyline, every single rumor. I am refreshed, and I am raring to go, my friend. Thank you so much for holding down the fort in my absence. I, I've yet to listen to the episodes. I just got back into cellular service not like 24 hours ago. I'm looking forward to listening to them, to catching up on all the news. I just heard about Mike Wallace. Seems pretty exciting. Yeah. But thank you so much for holding down the fort, man. I do appreciate it. Oh, for sure. No, we had a ton of great guests on. They're good shows. Go back and listen to them. And what I did was, I am bringing you into a lion's den. We are going to be talking today with John Ledyard, your pal, our pal over at NDTscouting.com. We are going to be talking about this running back class. And I know that John sees things a little bit more my way than he does your way. So it may lead to some fights. Either way, that's going to be very interesting. And look, we're going to kick it over to that chat with John right now. All right, and we are joined by John Ledyard of NDT Scouting, and he's got a new gig with Pro Football Weekly, which is awesome. Pro Football Weekly was like their draft guides got me into the draft when I was younger, playing NCAA football, importing Madden draft classes, all that good stuff. John is also a big history nut, so he's going to be dropping some big-time <laughs> history nuggets on us. Jeez. John, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Sorry I'm not going to be able to provide much in the way of history unless we're talking football history. It's about the only thing. Actually, I played Trivia Crack. Yes, I know still. And <laughs> I will have you know that I actually do history is like my second – let me look. I think it's my second best category. So there you go, Michael. What is Trivia Crack? Oh, download oh, it. We're going to play some games and we're going to go to town on history and we're going to see what's up for sure. Oh All my. three of us. 
I know that it was popular like three years ago, but that's okay. Yeah, that means I'm like two years. It's on. It's two years on my horizon, man. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just coming up on it. So yeah, right around your ninth birthday, I think Ben was one. Yeah. <laughs> so John, uh, did I miss anything as far as who you work for? And let the people know where they can find you on social media and all that good stuff. You did, but it's very okay because there's a lot of places and I have a hard time remembering them all myself. But I write for FanRag Sports and NDT Scouting and Pro Football Weekly, all covering the NFL, NFL Draft uh, in some capacity. Uh, and I'm the co-host of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast with Trevor Sykema five days a week. You can find that on Panoply, iTunes, all the good spots. I think that's it. Wait a minute. No, I also cover the Steelers for a site that nobody on this podcast will care about. <laughs> and he also tweets angrily about Grayson Allen at Ledyard NFL Draft. It's actually very little anger. I think people do think that because I'm direct on Twitter that I'm angry. I'm very, very rarely emotionally compromised in any way. It's just that I just kind of have a blunt. I don't use a lot of emojis or exclamation points, I think, on Twitter. John will say, like, Grayson Allen vanished during this game. He did not have a good tournament. And then people respond and be like, so you hate Grayson Allen personally, which is like a huge leap. Yeah. But I just like, I guess if you don't use LOL and haha and emojis and people just they just think everything's vitriol and that's all that they see it as. I get the same thing when I text my wife, like, are you going to pick up the vodka or what? And like that would sound really bad, like if I didn't throw an LOL at the end, but I'm not a teenage girl, so I don't throw LOL and I'm constantly in trouble with her. I don't know why. Plus, it's very serious to you whether she picks up the vodka or not, I'm sure. Oh, let's, yeah. Let's run a social experiment where we take John and every tweet, we just put haha at the end of it and then see if he gets the same amount of flack, like over a period of like two weeks. And that, that really is the difference maker. I'm telling you, that's the difference. I'm telling yeah. you, it's the difference. All right. So, John, uh, what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about this running back class because the Eagles have the most amount of touches when you compile the – and I talked about this the other day. I think it was episode 16, if I'm not mistaken, about the number of visits correlating to actionable info for the Eagles and the meetings, the interviews, the visits that we've had so far. Running back has been top-heavy for the Eagles, so they are definitely looking at bolstering that position. Ajay is only signed for one more year, and then behind that you have Clement. We don't don't know what we have with the other guys yet with Smallwood and, and Pumphrey and whatnot. But, but before we get to that, because we're not just going to be talking about the Eagles with this running back class, we're going to be talking about the entire league. The first topic that I wanted to hit on is something that I tweeted out and I wanted your thoughts on it, John. So here's the tweet. If the Giants stick at two to take a running back after having turned down a trade, uh, turned down a trade offer, they will essentially have spent the top pick and three second rounders on a position that the league values and pays like kickers. Pick a quarterback or take a war chest, this isn't hard. And obviously, there's a hint of hyperbole there. But the fact is, only Le'Veon Bell is getting paid in the double-digit millions. And I'm not saying don't take a running back in round one, even though it's a very talented class with both top-end and mid-level talent. But what I'm saying, John, that the Giants must have completely misevaluated where they stand from at a talent perspective if they're even considering Saquon Barkley at two overall. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, uh, well, there's two parts of this for me. There's my feelings about how the draft should be. Do- well, it's three parts, I guess. My feelings about how the draft should be done, especially in the top 10. My feelings about the Giants roster. And then my feelings about Saquon Barkley. So we'll talk about the first two to begin. In the top 10, if you're drafting a running back, you better be sure that guy is going to check all the boxes as a rusher, as a receiver, as a pass protector, even in some cases. I mean, there might be rare exceptions where I'd be okay with an average pass protector or something like that, but he got to check all the boxes. 
he's got to be able to make a consistent impact for your team, and there really shouldn't be any red flags. You know, even I guess you know with Ezekiel Elliott, uh, you could say off the field where I don't know how much of that was known from my pre-draft or how much was available to be known, but based on what I could know of Ezekiel Elliott. He checked all those boxes, so I can get on board with it, you know, from at least the value of the player type of perspective. Right. You know, Todd Gurley checked all the boxes. You know, there was the injury concern. I'm not a doctor, so, again, I can't speak to that one. But out, uh, based on what I could know, checked all the boxes. You know, I didn't think Fournette checked all the boxes, and I didn't think he played like a guy who checked all the boxes this past season. And Christian McCaffrey sure as heck didn't. Uh, <laughs> Panthers, one of their biggest needs is running back uh, going into this year. So that right there shows, you know, why you don't draft one in the top 10 unless he can check all the boxes for you and be your guy. So that's why I have a concern with it if they aren't taking running back. Plus, the Giants, looking at the roster situation, you know, you have to also then consider the positions on your team and what you need at those different positions. And you go through the the key positions on a roster. Quarterback's the first one, and right away you have to stop for the Giants. And maybe Giants fans disagree because they think Eli Manning is still the old Eli Manning, but the dude has been declining for years now. He was I, – I agree he did some great things for a time in New York as their quarterback, but that's just not the player that he is anymore. That's okay. It's not like he isn't a, he is a terrible player, but how many times are the Giants going to be drafting this high? I mean, their roster is a lot better than 2-14 and 14 or whatever they were this past mm-hmm. season. Know, to be drafted two overall. So it's not going to happen every year for the Giants. You want to have to give up a bunch to go get your future quarterback next year or two right. years from now, whenever you accept the fact that this is all Eli Manning's going to be for the rest of his career? Or do you want to pull the trigger and make that move now uh, when you don't have to give up anything and you can get the best quarterback in the draft as long as considering the Browns are probably going to take Sam Darnold? So to me, it's a no-brainer situation for the Giants, just like you said, because the need is there at a position that is obviously of most value in the NFL and they can get one that I think is well worth that pick. And not only are you passing on it this year, but like you alluded to, when are you going to have the number two overall pick again? So are you going to have to give up a war chest next year mm-hmm. even more to go get a quarterback when you have a 37-year-old quarterback that's going to turn 38 before the end of the season. And I know uh, me and you, John, we're a little bit we're lower on Saquon Barkley as a prospect than Ben is. And Ben, I'll, I'll ask you this, being I know you're high, very high on uh, on Saquon Barkley. Would you take Barkley at two or even in the top five? Heck no, <laughs> never. What, this, I need to believe that this is blowing smoke. I need to believe that it's just it's just nonsense, pre-draft nonsense. Because if it isn't, then the people responsible for making NFL draft selections are fundamentally misunderstanding how the draft works. The draft is not about getting good players. It just isn't. It's about getting impactful players, which means good players at positions of value, at good values in the draft, right? It is all a discussion of value. It's all economics. Everything is a computer, whatever. The fact of the matter is Saquon Barkley may be a a generational talent. You know, we use the G word. You know, he may be a guy who at his ceiling is a running back, the likes of which we've never seen. But you can't call him can't miss. And you can't call anybody in this class can't miss. The closest one is probably Quentin Nelson. And sure, you have guys that I think are very high floor players. I think Josh Rosen is very high floor. I think Bradley Chubb, I think Minka Fitzpatrick in like the top 10 are very high floor players. But it's very difficult to call somebody a can't miss player. And as John alluded to, unless you can call a running back can't miss, the value of the player alone and what he brings to your offense precludes him from being a top 10 pick unless you're throwing him the ball at least 10, 12, 15 times a game, which Barkley can handle that. How many NFL teams do we trust to use in that way? I certainly do not trust Pat Shermer's offense and Dave Gettleman's team to use him that way. So that's kind of where we are. I think Barkley's an exceptional talent. 
I think that he's going to be an incredibly an incredible watch. He's going to be such a fun player. An offensive coordinator is going to love him and quarterbacks are going to love him. But to draft him in the top 10, the top 15 is to misunderstand the value that he brings to your offense as far as putting points on the board. And to me, that's just the long and the short of it. People were telling me that my mentions were terrible because this uh, Joe Banner was was on this tweet. Elvin Silva was on this tweet. And everyone said, oh, you're an Eagles fan. You're scared of the, uh, the Eagles to take or, or the Giants to take. Oh, Barkley. my like, goodness. No. No, not at all. Good, anal- good, good analytical retort there from people. <laughs> oh, so you're scared. Yeah. You're chicken. <laughs> I want them to take Barkley. I, I hope they pass on a quarterback because sure. if the quarterback says, I mean, I think Darnold's going to go number one, so go take Rosen. I like Rosen. Rosen is my QB one. That would be the smart thing to do. That would scare me more than Barkley going at two than them having to give up a war chest to go get a quarterback the next it's it's a they have such an inflated sense of eli manning it blows my mind one guy exactly not only that but one other part that's interesting about this for the giants mike is that they could then trade eli manning and get something back so you the comparison between what they could do if by taking a quarterback there and the mistake they'll make plus what they'll have to give up in the future to go probably go get a quarterback catastrophic yeah, exactly. It's this, it's the kind of decision that could set your franchise back. Obviously, there's other factors here for sure, but it's the kind of decision that could set your franchise back at least temporarily, if not long term, especially if Rosen goes on to be a star or any of the other quarterbacks really go on to be stars. Yeah, you would have to hope that they pick like a Kyle Laletta and it turns into like a Dak Prescott situation in the third or fourth round. And that's that's just yeah. I mean, you're you're like, taking a big. Swing. It already happened. It's <laughs> Davis Webb. I'm telling you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Davis, man. It's Davis out of cap. Here's what it is. It's draft Barkley at two and then come back at 34, draft another running back because Gettleman has proved the strategy works very well. (laughs) Pay Alec Ogletree even more money. Pay Nate Solder (laughs) even more money and start Davis Webb in 2019. Go Giants. Go Big Blue. Coming into the draft last year that if Davis Webb, because he was getting first round buzz, like we forget this, he was getting first round buzz. And I said on breaking the draft that if Davis Webb went before Patrick Mahomes, I would literally eat my hand on the podcast. So I was very confident that Davis Webb was not going to go in the first round, that he was being lied to. <laughs> so uh, I really wish he would have gone before Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> oh, thanks, bud. <laughs> so one guy, uh, beyond Saquon Barkley, there's a guy that Howie Roseman loves. And John, you shared this information with me that Roseman loves Darius Geis from LSU. I know me and you are very high on Darius Geis. Roseman acknowledged that he is going to go before the Eagles pick. But if he's there at 32, I am running to the podium myself to turn in that pick. John, what do you like about Geis? Yeah, he's terrific. And Roseman has a first round grade on him. Uh, he believes that he's off the board before 32. And I can't say that I disagree. You know, I I think with Darius Geis, you're getting back to that question. Does he have everything? Does he check all the boxes? And to me, as a rusher, Geis checks all the boxes. He is powerful inside. His vision and his instincts are exceptional. He knows when to cut. He knows when to get vertical. He knows when to lower the pads and run through people. And he does that with great success. He's also great in the open field, and he proved at the combine he's got that breakaway speed. I think if you watched two years ago when he was fully healthy, there really wasn't any question. Really, even last year, there weren't many examples of him looking slow or whatever. Right. Uh, but you know, this is a guy that's going to test your defense at every level as a rusher. And in a variety of schemes that LSU ran, you know, he he followed polars. He ran inside zone. He ran outside zone. They ran tons of gap stuff. So he did a lot of different things at LSU, which is very beneficial to move into the NFL. Yes, he didn't get a ton of targets as a receiver, but watch when he did get him. 
He consistently made people miss. He looked, his hands look good when he's worked out uh, and during the pre-draft process. He's looked good in that role. If you want to make an argument against drafting guys in the top 10, it's probably going to be what's his impact going to be as a receiver. But he's a good pass protector. He's a great runner. I think he has all the traits and the limited sample size. LSU's never thrown to their backs. I mean, it's not, right. you know, this isn't like a new, a new thing per se. Um, but the sample size we have of guys as a receiver, he's been really impressive in that role. So I think he checks all those boxes to be that type of a player in the NFL, to be that type of an every down impact guy. Uh, and there really are not any concerns for me. The ball security is good with him as well. So there really are not many concerns with me for Geis unless, you know, maybe, you know, he's banged up last year. Maybe health is a concern in some capacity, but still was able to play through it. So to me, there aren't really many concerns with Geis. That's the type of running back that you take high in the draft if your roster is set up in such a way to allow you to use that position as your hmm. pick. And Ben, I know that uh, you're not as high as Geis uh, on Geis as we are. So what I want you to do is I want you to imagine a running back that could fall to us at 32 because I know that John has mocked us Sony Michelle at 32 before. I know I'm higher on Sony Michelle because of our big board fight episode. If someone falls to us at 32, Ben, who do you like? And then John, I want you to bury Ben. Ben, go. <laughs> so if it's between Geis and Michelle and what, like a Ronald Jones falling, like who am I most interested in? Right. Yeah, it's still it's still definitely going to be Darius Geis. Darius Geis is, is higher than both Rojo and Sony Michelle on my board. Nick Chubb also is higher than Sony Michelle, John. But I I don't know if you knew that, so maybe so, I should have just kept that information. Oh, I mean, it's wrong, but that's fine. <laughs> so then <laughs> Geis, Geis is gone. Let's say Geis is gone. He goes at either thirteen to the Redskins or he goes to twenty to the Lions. Let's say Rojo and Michelle and Chubb are all on the board. Ben, go. Who are you taking? Yeah, so I'll take Rojo. That'll be my guy. I will say, if you add either Geis or Ronald Jones to this team, it's like giving a T-Rex a machine gun. I mean, you're talking about an <laughs> offense that was already pretty insane as far as how it deployed its weapons. Already had a real powerful difference maker at quarterback, at wide receiver, at tight end. And now you're going to add a first-round running back in there. And Geis and, and Jones alike are both top 20 players on my board. Uh, I would take Ronald Jones in this situation, assuming Geis is off. I don't anticipate Philadelphia goes this way with 32, but let's say they do. What Ronald Jones gives you now is real pure electricity on the field. Jay Ajayi was Philadelphia's primary zone runner. He was the guy who kind of stretched the field, hit those outside zone concepts. Ajayi made his hay as an outside zone runner. When he had great vision, he had, was able to diagnose. He has good initial burst, and then he's got excellent contact balance. So this was a guy who would get into the second level, and then he would be able to pick up eight yards where you thought it was going to be five, which is kind of how a guy like Geis makes his hey Geis's best trait for me is his ability to fight through contacts to mm. keep his balance and to pick up what you know we kind of call dirty yardage. Ronald Jones gives you an aspect of speed, burst, and open field agility that that a giant does not have, that Corey Clement does not have, that Garrett Blunt never gave you. It's better than anything I think you even got from Darren Sproles as well, just the full picture. Yeah. Ronald Jones, incredibly flexible young man. When we talk about body control with running backs very often, we, we end up talking about, oh, well, you know, when they get contacted, are they able to keep their, their feet on the ground and they're able to keep their momentum moving forward? But body control also hugely important for a position that necessitates so many stops and starts. And Jones has such great flexibility. He's able to really a lot of suddenness, a very, very shifty sort of a player. And that that comes from his body control. He's a, just got a, a great athletic frame. He's got a lot of control over how he moves. It allows him to manipulate second level defenders very well. This is a home run hitter, right? We saw 
a good amount of long runs for Philadelphia. Not a lot of long touchdown runs because nobody really had that game-breaking speed when you get into the secondary. That's what Ronald Jones can give you. You know, you find multiple, you know, drives on USC game film that's they're two plays long and one play was an 84 yard touchdown run by Ronald Jones because they got him to the boundary and he was able to make the make the closing safety miss and he was gone so he really gives you some juice that Philadelphia's offense I wouldn't say lack because they won the Super Bowl so I don't really know if they lack but you know what I mean like that's that's an aspect right. like a dimension that wasn't necessarily fully fleshed out give me Ronald Jones in that case but I know John you would make the case for Michelle. I know Michelle is your second-ranked running back behind Darius Geis, ahead of Saquon Barkley. And Michelle also a fine fit in Philadelphia's offense, I think. So am I right in saying you're going you're gonna to take Michelle there? Kill him. Yes, I would, t- I would take Michelle in this situation. I mean, I, I should say Rojo's awesome and and would, would be an upgrade really to me. And I'm, I'm not the biggest him. J.H.I. guy. I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> not the biggest J.H.I. guy. I just think that. I think Ajayi's fine. I don't think he's a bad player in any way. Uh, you know, I think the trade was a good move by Philly because well, whoever you draft in the fourth round is probably not going to be as good as Ajayi. But Ajayi's definitely not a guy I would sign to a second contract, you know, unless it's Damn. like some super short term. We don't because, anticipate them to at all. Exactly, right. And I don't think that they will. So the argument here can be made that don't think about taking a running back until you need a running back, They're like right that year. You know what I mean? Um, and they certainly have enough guys in the backfield to get it done this year. But at the same time, I just think this group is so much more dynamic when there's a dynamic playmaker, a guy that can make plays with the ball in his hands. And, you know, it, like you said, Ben, it's hard to say that there was a negative aspect of Philly or something they were quote unquote missing. But I do think they missed Darren Sproles. I do think this team would have been way more dangerous with a guy like that. Um, and to me, if you want the all-around talent of running back, that's where Michelle has the advantage over Ronald Jones because when Michelle and now DeAndre Swift was basically a wide receiver, so he played these third downs a lot of the time for Georgia. So Michelle and Chubb both saw the receiving reps cut. You go back to early in Michelle's career, he was a dynamic receiver out of the backfield. He had didn't even have that many opportunities this year as a receiver. When he did, Alabama. highlight real plays, mm. consistently highlight real plays. He was highly effective in that role. He is a great inside runner, a great outside runner. Georgia does run a ton of zone concepts as well, but I, from what tape I saw anyway, which was like six or seven games each of these guys, USC was even heavier in zone concepts in that way. And I think Georgia had some pulling concepts that I feel like Philadelphia would use as well that Michelle can kind of read and cut off of. So I like the schematic fit too for Michelle in terms of having a little more diversity plus things he ran behind early in his Georgia career as well. So I think Michelle... If there's an argument to be made against him, it's obviously the ball security. But even that really improved. You know, this past year, everybody thinks of the fumble against Oklahoma. But I think he was only two fumbles this this entire year. And that was only the second one. And so, you know, I think that he's a guy that it's going to be a concern for him until he proves that it isn't, basically. But outside of that, I don't really know what Michelle's lacking as a player. Maybe like home run, breakaway speed. But even his play speed is better than, you know, his four five four or whatever he ran at the combine, which is still a totally fine time to me. So... You know, in terms of open field ability, elusiveness, I think Michelle is terrific. I think Jones is terrific in that way, too. But Michelle, clearly, I think Michelle might be the best pass protecting back in the class, uh, which is really important. And I think he's a better receiving option than Rojo, too. So I like his all around game better than Ronald Jones. And plus his size, his strength, I think it's a little better than Jones as well. Although I love Jones in the open field, I'm going to give Michelle the edge as the all around guy. I was watching Michelle, uh, the the coach's film of the the game with Alabama, the national championship game, and he picked up Deron Payne on a stunt. And, you know, Deron Payne doesn't have the most endurance out of all the defensive linemen in his class, but 
he picked him up and he was totally fine. He was totally willing to go engage Ron Payne, which is as a scary proposition. <laughs> so I would I would agree yep. that he's an excellent yep. pass blocker. Uh, as far as okay, so it's a fluid situation with Howie Roseman in office. Kendricks could be on the trade block. We've heard that, that a defensive back is on the trade block. So let's not lock ourselves into just at thirty two, just at the fourth round with a thirtieth and the thirty second pick. Let's look at some day two guys. One of the day two guys that they brought in was Rashad Penny from San Diego State. Uh, you've also, you can look at Royce Freeman from Oregon, John Kelly from Tennessee, Naeem Hines from NC State, Mark Walton from Florida. John, give me one of the guys that you would say would be a good fit for the Eagles or even just a guy you really like in that day two area. And then Ben will we'll go to you after that. But John, who do you like in day two? I think Naeem Hines is a really interesting player that could do some things that uh, as I look at the current group and I just try and figure out what's this current group missing that somebody could add, you know, and I do like Clement's receiving ability, but I just think that Hines is a little bit more dynamic. And what's cool about Hines is that he could add a wrinkle that none of these guys really add and that he played wide receiver up really up until this past year. Yeah. And he splits out a lot of the time for NC State and even runs vertical routes at times and things like that. That'd be a little cool evolution to the offense too, that I think he could be useful. And so I think he's kind of dynamic. I don't think he's like super elusive in the open field or anything, but very crisp in what he does. Kind of a technician, even though he's newer to the position. I think that's just going to keep growing for him uh, in terms of the running back side of things. And as a wide receiver, he's pretty nuanced in what he does when he split out wide. Um, Mm. So he does have really great bursts and long speed. So there's the home run threat ability as well, which makes him exciting. Um, He is a little bit more track speed than he is necessarily like you know, all around multi-directional speed or quickness. Um, right. But I still think that this is a guy that can do enough in space to, to be worth his while. And, you know, in that range of the draft, you're probably somewhere in the mid rounds anyway. Uh, you're probably looking at guys that for the most part shouldn't, if teams have drafted appropriately, shouldn't be all around backs, you know, and feature guys. You know, I know last year that wasn't necessarily the case with Kamara and Kareem Hunt, but um, if teams are drafting it the right way and seeing these guys the right way, you're probably looking at guys who fill a role rather than be all around feature guys, which is just fine. And I think that's where Hines is probably at his best in the NFL. Yeah, I'm big on Hines and I agree with you. He shows more nuance as a receiver. He was he was a better receiver than Jalen Samuels was, who's being looked at as a running back by a lot of these NFL teams. Ben, who you got in the day two area? Yeah, it's interesting. I want to talk about a guy like Justin Jackson out of Northwestern who ended up higher on my running back rankings than I anticipated. I want to talk about, you know, a Rock Thomas. I want to talk about a uh, the kid out of Fordham, Chase Edmonds. But when we talk about this kind of scat back, receiving back mold that Philadelphia may look for now that Darren Sproles is, is out of out of the locker room, you know, we do have to remember fourth round rookie San Diego State, Danelle Pumphrey, is still on the roster and he you know, did never got a full look, right? Never saw any action in a regular season game, had a hamstring issue early in camp. It, re- it flared up later, got put on IR. So you wonder if they would be willing to invest in that mold of the back when they have a guy on the roster who still could become that guy. So it's tricky. So let's say they want to go get themselves uh, a Garrett Blunt replacement. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Mm. Let's say they really liked having that heavy thumper, that guy who's the fourth quarter grinder and everything like that. I think Bo Scarborough would be mm. fun to kick the tires on out of Alabama because this is going to be a guy who, because of durability concerns, because he has a super upright running style, and because he's not in any shape uh, or any way, shape, or form sudden 
or bursty. He's he, he just he fits a very small niche. He's not going to be drafted at a premium, right? This is going to be around to me around four, round five sort of guys. This is already in day three, not even in day two. But for Philadelphia, you give him very limited touches. You gave him early down touches. He doesn't have to get involved on any sort of zone carries whatsoever because you have guys who do that. He doesn't need any sort of receiving down work. You already have guys who do that. You can just put him in there and ask him to grind. And so Philadelphia, a team that does not have many needs, finds a Bart, a Bo Scarborough sort of a mold late. I mean, Chris Warren, the third out of Texas, is yeah. a guy. Jarby and Franklin out of Western Michigan. Jordan Sean out of Troy is a guy that I like. These are 235-plus pound backs who can grind. They can just go and eat up physical yardage and become a punishing force. Philadelphia used that in the regular season. And we forget that. They moved away from it in the playoffs a lot as, as the offense evolved under Nick Foles. But when it was Wentz, there was a whole lot of the Garrett Blunt fourth quarters. And I wonder if they're going to look to – Find that guy on a cheap rookie contract, especially when Ajayi leaves. All of your roster running backs are about 200 pounds. Clement's not more than 210. Some of those names could show out. I think Bo Scarborough is an interesting one. He's a, he's a deadly runner when he's on. It's just a question of health for him. Yeah, and the fact is, if we're looking at these running backs and we want to keep our costs low, because our costs for the combined backfield in Philadelphia right now, if you were to pick three guys, it's lower than the cost of Graham Cano, the kicker from Carolina. So I can imagine them bringing in Bo Scarborough and having him for a contract. And if the injuries are an issue, then you move on from him. You just pick somebody else in the third, fourth round. And not that that's a guaranteed thing, but that seems to be they, they like that later value with their running backs. And they invested heavily in looking at running backs last year as far as the meetings and the official visits. I talked about it before, but that's something that they'll, they'll look at. John, last question. Give me a day three sleeper, a guy that isn't really being talked about that might be more in the mold of what the Eagles like to do in the draft because they drafted Denon Pumphrey later on. They got Corey Clement as a UDFA. Those guys that could contribute for the Eagles year one. I, so he was talking about, Ben was talking about big backs and I like Darrell Williams at LSU and he tested yeah. horrendously. Mm. Like, he tested so bad at the at the combine. I was just like, oh my goodness! But <laughs> you know, it's overrated for running backs. You know, it, you need guys that can feel it, uh, and re- really, that's what you need. And I think he definitely does. When he runs, he just kind of has a natural way about him. He's nimble. He's light on his feet. You know, he kind of picks his way through traffic. He actually isn't like a huge bruising runner, but he is pretty technical and nuanced in what he does. He can change speeds a little bit, which is good. And surprisingly, I I thought he was really effective. Uh, as a receiver, uh, he made guys miss. Um, so, you know, he's not going to wow you athletically or anything, but I just think he plays well. I mean, he's going to be there day three. You right. know? So, you know, I think he plays the game really well. I think he's a really clean type of running style. And, you know, I know he's not going to go first three rounds and I don't have him great in there, but I would love to get a guy like that day four, you know, I think he, or, or day three. And I think he can do a lot of different things for you uh, too. You know, like I said, as a receiver, but he didn't get as many pass rush, re- pass protection reps. I think that he's going to improve in that area. There were some good things on tape. There were some bad things too. I think, like I said, I think he's going to make strides in that area. But that range of the draft, man, you're a guy like that with that size with some good tape, like he, and he had really good production this year too. And that right. offensive line wasn't great. And both he and and, uh, and Geis had to, you know, they had to slodge through some stuff to get uh, to the point that they did in terms of production. But he put up some impressive numbers, 145 carries for 820 yards, ran for nine touchdowns, and then caught 23 passes for 331 yard, pound, or 31 yards. You do not see many backs Darrell Williams' size uh. 
average 14.4 yards per catch. I mean, that's pretty impressive uh, for a running back, especially. So I like him. I think that he is a guy that's going to just the science of of being that big and and moving once he when he changes speeds and can move at those speeds is going to break some tackles. He's going to fall forward through contact a little bit. And I think he's surprisingly nimble as a receiver, too. So that range of the draft, I'd be pretty thrilled to come away with a guy like Darrell Williams. Yeah, and that dovetails nicely with the talk about Geis because the talk about Geis coming into the season was Matt Canada was going to be offensive coordinator. Geis is going to see all this receiving time. But then he got that deep thigh bruise and whatever else he had going on. And Darrell Williams was a capable third down back for his size. And he took a lot of those snaps away from Geis because they wanted to rest him anyway and keep him in for running downs. So that was a very interesting part of it. He came to the Senior Bowl. He played pretty well. And yeah, I I mean, I think he's being undervalued and you're going to look at his testing and you're going to be horrified. But at the same time, you put the tape on and I think he's a he's a pretty decent back that you can get later on in day three. John, it has been a pleasure. Well, we have to talk about these running backs more as we get closer to the draft. I know you had a history nugget that you wanted to drop on us. What's that history nugget? Did I have a history nugget? I don't know if this is true. <laughs> I need to offer it in video response to this podcast <laughs> in true Michael Kist form. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I bug John all the time with Locked On NFL Draft. Go check that out. It's one of my daily listens. I bug him on Fan Fridays all the time with history questions. And John tries his darndest to answer them. They just got their first one right. The first one that I really agreed with uh, last week. And I, I was very happy with you, John. You even got the names right, which was awesome. So I'm going to get See, you in, in, in the history one way or another. I, yeah, I like history. I just don't like it like you do, man. I mean, <laughs> uh, John low key flexing very hard. Like, yo, I just grind tape, man. All I'm doing is watching prospects. I'm sorry I don't, I don't have time to watch the history channel, man. I mean, some people have to study 300, 400 prospects, you know? Yeah, I I ended up killing his partner over at Lockdown NFL Draft in Battlefield 1. I put the videos up on Twitter and he was like, oh, I guess you got time to watch video games because you're not grinding film. I was like, dude. You're killing me right now. <laughs> so anyway, John, let the gentle listeners know where they can find all your stuff one more time. Yeah, at Ledyard NFL Draft on Twitter, L-E-D-Y-A-R-D. Um, and then on FanRagSports.com, uh, NDTScouting.com, ProFootballWeekly.com. You can find a lot of my written work. And then Locked On NFL Draft podcast with uh, aforementioned uh, Trevor Sikama, uh, five days a week, Monday through Friday. Uh, we talk NFL Draft year-round, man. We have a ton of fun with it. So yeah, if you guys are interested, make sure you check us out. Definitely check that out. Thanks again, John. Hey, no problem, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Big shout out to John Ledyard for joining us to bring some insight on this running back class. We will have him on again soon. On the next show, me and Benjamin will be talking about a full first round mock. And we will go through all 32 teams, pick the best fits. We'll talk about it. It's going to be a good time. Remember, we all we got, we all we need. Fly Eagles Fly. Fly Eagles Fly.